and I, I couldn't agree more with AJ's description of the wise adaptation. And and I think the the phrase that we often use at camp is looking looking at the beautiful intelligence of everything that's arising. And I really do mean everything. And I know there's always like the but, but, but it's it's not that that impulse is what needs to be enacted. But when we look at, so for example, say my husband's working a ton, which he has been, uh, and resentment arises. And I can say, oh, what's the beautiful intelligence? The beautiful intelligence, oh, I want his attention. I want, I want to feel connected with him. I want to feel important in our relationship. And then from when I see that intelligence, I'm like, oh, well, what can I do about that? And then the world of possibility opens up for me in, in connecting with him. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows nearly enough about. And on this podcast, you're going to hear from people in this wave I'm calling a conspiracy of goodness in our times. It is so well hidden by the negative noise that most of us have no idea of all the thought leaders and giving good people that are out there, but they are everywhere. You can find more of their stories on our website at the Goodness Exchange. That's the mothership website of this podcast. And today, and like every day, we might go from topic to topic, but you will always walk away with pearls that put a spring in your step. The content at the Goodness Exchange is all newsworthy things that should be rising to the top of the media, but they're just not getting there. So we are shining a light on folks like today's guest. I'm going to give you a wonderful bio for Kat Tweedy, but just to start, welcome Kat to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Hey, Linda. I'm so excited. And even just hearing you do the intro, I'm feeling good. Well, I tell you, oh, I just got minor goosebumps there. <laughs> it is still an amazing world out there, and we just are not hearing enough about it. And I thank you for joining us here because the work that you're doing proves my thesis. <laughs> so let me describe to folks what you're up to. So Kat is a what's called a social entrepreneur, and maybe you've run across that terminology and maybe not, but she is making the world a better place and making a good living and living in service to others. It's the best way I can describe what she's doing. She's a professional facilitator and a passionate experimenter in support of our collective wellness. And that's a term that we're going to hear coming up more and more often these days, collective wellness. You know, I'm always ranting on about how we've got to care about our worldview as much as we do our abs. <laughs> <laughs> at least as much as we do about our apps. And, you know, it's folks like you who have this beautiful, open worldview of possibility that remind us all what is at stake and what is the untapped potential in us and each of us as humans. I'll tell you a little bit more about Kat. She's the co-founder of an amazing project called Sleep, Sleep Awake Camp. It's like a month-long modern rite of passage for young people ages 18 to 27. And there at this camp, they find out who they are, who they're going to be. And along the way, they, they can deal with some of this anxiety, depression, and loneliness among young adults that we know is so prevalent in society. 
mainly, I'm sure it feels like a celebration for people who are fortunate enough to go through it. And we're going to talk about some of the outcomes in a few minutes. One thing I want to remind folks of, but you probably heard us mention it on this podcast a few times, is that there, study after study, including the longest human happiness study ever, it's over 80 years, has clearly and repeatedly shown that it's the quality of our relationships that has the highest impact on our well-being and our sense of purpose in our lives. And this camp, sleepaway camp, and so many other things that Kat's going to talk to us about is very clearly directed at this 100,000 foot look at the goal of happiness. How do we feel about our lives? How do we feel about our relationships with others? Everything Kat does is done with such a, in such a big way. And I think it's because of her upbringing. I'll tell you just a few interesting facts about Kat. She was an all-American pole vaulter and she earned her PhD at MIT in materials science engineering, which I can't wait to hear how this applies. And she's managed transformational projects at McKinsey and Mobius. She's led uh, organizational change in groups like the Philadelphia Police Department, all the way to a Bengali village in India. So <laughs> welcome, Kat, to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I always... It's so, it's, it's fascinating. It's like I'm listening to somebody else's life in a way. I'm like, wow, you didn't mention the dishes, you know, like. (laughs) Well, and then, then we have to mention one more thing at the beginning here. Kat is a metal sculptor and a lot of people on this, that listen to this podcast wouldn't know that, but I am too. So at some point we're going to have to talk about these crazy, strange and wonderful avenues into art that you and I do. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, so let's take it from the top because I didn't even know what Sleep Awake Camp, the name comes from, and I knew a lot about your project. So take it from the top. Talk to us about what you all are doing and your goals and a little, maybe a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, let's start with, you know, I did, you know, so many things that you know, we talked about at the beginning. And then I had this period in my life where I really pulled back into myself. I wanted to have babies and I wanted to really focus on being with them. I wanted to make art and just really focus on the how of my life and not focus on what was coming out. And I kind of was waiting, like waiting for the universe to tell me like, oh, it's time. It's time to turn outward again. And my good friend from MIT who, you know, we've had many stages in our relationship over 23 years, he and I over the last 10 years had been talking about rites of passage and like, why are we not preparing young people to like take their place and like be, you know, step into like, hello, parent, I am now an active member of this community and I know what I know and I know what I believe and I'm ready to stand for that. And, and so we were just talking about it. And then eventually he, he gathered a group of friends two and a half years ago and he said, Hey, I really want to make this camp. I want to do it, but I can't do it by myself. And at the time with two little kids, oh, that sounds amazing. But like, good luck, Jeff. And he at that point already had proposed that it'd be called Sleep Awake Camp, being a playoff of, you know, Sleep Away Camp, which a lot of people have experiences with, but that this is focused on our human awakeness. Like, let's be awake. For this experience of being a human and living. And 
it was in talking to another friend a couple of weeks later, and I noticed how excited I was like talking about this. And I had the imagination of leading it. And all of a sudden, my body just lit up. And I was like, whoa! Like It just felt like I filled up and all these things just made sense. Like All these pieces all of a sudden like flooded to me of like the the academic side of the data studies and the like being able to manage change projects and be able to like pull people together to do things like, all these things suddenly like just made sense in my life and i was just such a yes and i left jeff a whatsapp message crying just being like hey i found out i want to do this with you i'm going to do it we're going to do it <laughs> All right. So one of the things that you said in our pre-call that relates to this feeling that you're expressing right now, I can tell by the look on your face and the sparkle in your eyes, is that I think this is an important point that people listening to this podcast may resonate with. There's a lot of people in this world looking for what they're uniquely built to contribute. You know, they may have great careers, they might have all the advantage, but they feel like there's just a little something that they're missing. And it is about purpose and meaning. You said to me, the quote was, I feel like every bit of me is being used up by this project. Every positive part of me is being used up. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, I, in one way, you know, I can talk about how I really feel like my, the fact that I'm a mother, the fact that I've had experiences using my organizational and mathematical brain so deeply but also my emotional and like, and my kind of soul longing, you know, like all of these pieces, but also like that I'm in a human body that has needs and wants to move. Like it's all kind of included, but I think it makes for me the most sense when I compare it to times when I didn't feel fully used, when I was justifying to myself, oh, maybe I just need to make this tiny tweak. And then this thing that doesn't feel quite right will actually somehow work. It's like, you know, trying to put on a shoe that doesn't fit like over and over again. And I think, you know, for me, it was the courage to finally say, okay, I'm willing to let go of my ideas, what I think is the right thing until I hear from my body. Like, this is it. Yes, that is such a that is such a recurring theme in the people that we interview here on the Conspiracy Goodness podcast, because all of them have found absolutely what they're uniquely built to contribute. And they didn't necessarily start where they ended up. And you obviously didn't start where you en- ended up either. So this discovery of something that just totally lights you up is part good fortune. And it's part just putting one step in front of the other. And it's part curiosity, I'd say, probably those three and more. But I get that this year, some of the skills that you're working with these kids at Sleep Awake Camp, right? You're working on skills that are missing in our educational system. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I hold both. There's the curriculum and we cover a tremendous amount. We've got 30 days. But there's also just this container of what it's like to be in a group of people who are all saying like, I'm willing to turn towards the scary stuff in service of who I really want to be. And then having the facilitators, and we have a big facilitative staff all committed to welcoming all these parts of people that they've been afraid of showing and being like, I love you. I love you. I see your anger and I love you. I see your frustration or your power. 
you know, and I love that, you know, and so just making a place where people feel welcome to experiment with who do I want to be? What qualities of myself do I want to draw upon? And yes, in the midst of all of that, there's attention training. There's learning to use our metacognition to be aware of what's happening inside our internal mental, emotional landscape, but also what it's like to open up some of these emotional channels like anger or grief that maybe in the past haven't felt safe to access and and learn how to navigate those currents of energy for your intention and understand that there's intelligence and beauty in all the impulses that arise and that that can't be done in isolation, but is done in the context of eating well and sleeping well and moving and being in connection with other nervous systems that are helping us regulate. And, you know, I, from our pre-call, I recall a sense of, it's probably, you're probably giving people a wealth of understanding about others too, you know, that, that if there are no bad emotions or that every, if there's a kind of a beautiful intelligence to most impulses, then you learn about adapting to others instead of critiquing or judging, right? I imagine that's. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that we explore quite deeply is our projections of others because we each live in this world that we're creating of our own, you know, based on our past experiences and how we're brought up and all the imprints in our system. And for people to begin to see, oh, my reality is different from your reality and be in a safe space where somebody can say, hey, I'm holding these positive and negative projections of you and have somebody be like, wow, like, interesting. Yeah, that's not a truth about me. It's a truth about this person's perceptions and judgments. And we can begin to loosen the shame that is often keeping people from looking at these aspects of their projected world. And as it begins to loosen, it begins to be like, oh, maybe I don't know everything about this person. Or maybe I don't know that this belief in me is totally true, even though my family was totally convinced of this, you know, and so everything gets a little bit looser and more curious. And so that that's part of the experimentation and the laboratory nature of it is there's space for people to really step outside of their usual views of themselves and other people. When's there going to be an adult camp? I think <laughs> I haven't heard I haven't heard you say anything that most adults wouldn't want some insights about. Yeah, and far. we hear that a lot. And I think from taking this broad perspective, Jeff and I wanted to start with what is the age that's going to make the biggest difference in their lives but also our collective movement and evolution and at this age late teens, early 20s. This is when adult, you know, when young people are moving outside of their parents' home for the first time. And so they have this opportunity to say, okay, there's all these ways I've adapted to life so far. Which of these do I want to continue? And what are the ways, what do I want to reinvent? Or what are the places where I want to see what are my options? Because I maybe I have more options around, you know, all sorts of things. And so it's this age where the mind hasn't practiced 
grooves of patterning as long. And so it's just this sweet age, but we hope to start offering some adult camps in the future. So we did also, it just as a society, we did start, at some point we started medicating kids and giving them medicine instead of skills. Yeah. I think there was a day when you worked beside your mom or dad and you learned all kinds of, you went to the, whatever, the store or the field with them and they ran into trouble and you observed how they got around it or coped with it or whatever. And somewhere along the way, we stopped sharing our lives with our kids in such a way that we gave them the skills that are their coping skills and things that our grandparents gave. What's your thoughts on this whole world of, of medicating and how the schools could be part of giving skills instead of medicine? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I can't answer this question without it. Like just acknowledging the heartbreak of absolutely. Oh my goodness. You know, the, the fact that so many of the symptoms that are being medicated are kind of appropriate responses to what is being sensed, right? Like, so that a sense of loneliness in some cases, people are really isolated. A sense of anxiety may be related to what they're seeing with the environment or what they're hearing. There's, there is a lot in our collective field that where there's fear and young open systems, young beings are sensitive. They're feeling, they're feeling what doesn't make sense. What's kind of incongruent between you know, maybe messages of buy this and you'll feel good. And wait, but this, like something fundamentally doesn't feel right. And so I think the heartbreak is that we as a society don't have the skills right now to fully hold our young beings in what they're feeling and guide them through it and giving them the, like, what are the strengths? What are the tools that will allow them to be in relation to this hurt that they're feeling, that they're so accurately connecting to, but that actually reinforces their own power. Okay, you feel the hurt in relation to the environment. Okay, this is, you know, we can feel grief. Here are tools for feeling grief. Here's tools for feeling anger. And now how do we take that energy and do something with it? You can do something. And then we give them encouragement and that's how they find their place. I love that. And I can't help but think they're getting it from somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind of things you're describing are things that the human mind would search for. The human mind would try to make sense of the surroundings. The human mind is a connect the dots machine. So maybe that's where social media sort of colors the whole thing wrong. Because I, I think you said when I was talking to you that kids know there is a deeper level of connectedness and joy that must be possible. Yeah. So They're just not getting offered a very many alternatives. No, I mean, so what we saw in camp, we don't give access to phones. And in the before we ran it the first time, we we're like, oh my goodness, like, is there going to be withdrawal because some people have so much of a relationship with sort of the dopamine cycles and you know related to checking social media and getting getting those hits of kind of connectedness or surprise and what we found we were delighted by which was people didn't miss them at all they were just so excited and 
in the moment with getting to be alive, getting to be with themselves and with other people and be connected and in this kind of real aliveness together and, and sort of the unfolding of life that was exciting. And so often, like when we gave them their phones Sunday afternoons to check in with family, they'd call parents and then be like, all right, take it back. I don't need it. Ah. That, that was surprising and beautiful to be reminded of. And hopeful. Hopeful. Yes. And hopeful because we like to be pretty crabby about our, the phone issue with others. <laughs> but I agree. I mean, to your point earlier about it is wired in us. Like we, we do yearn for more. And I think that's what, that's the way most of our, the people who come to camp are drawn to it is they read something or they hear something that points to that. We're saying, yes, there is more. We know there's more. Come check it out. I think most people, most young people that I have come into contact with, maybe it's because of the nature of what I know about with the goodness exchange, all the things I can offer to almost any conversation because of all this exposure to good news that I've had, they want it. (laughs) They don't want to walk around in doom and gloom. They know that they're not built for that, but there's very little alternatives offered them. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this, this trial and error versus adapting. I've got, you've got some perspectives on adapting that I think are pretty interesting. So we'll take a break and we'll be back. Hi, Dr. Linda Ulrich here, founder of The Goodness Exchange. Hey, did you know that a recent Harvard study found that just 90 seconds of positive news each day will make you 18% more optimistic, 32% less anxious, and 12% more likely to feel gratitude? Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, you will radiate joy and strength and ideas in all your circles. And the Goodness Exchange will give you that instant access you need to positive news, fresh insights, and uplifting perspectives. That will save you time and your sanity. Okay, that solves the problem in our personal lives. But what about our working environments? We need to feel alive in those places and feel supported. Well, enter the Goodness Exchange for business. For companies all over the world who want to create optimistic, values-driven work cultures, our content can give them a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction may now depend on your culture's ability to nurture this tone of insight and innovation and possibility. So why should we care? I don't know which one of the following statistics is more important. In 2022, only 32% of people reported feeling engaged at work. That's the second year in a row there for a decline in that report. And one study found that 70% of employees say they would leave their current organization for a different employer offering resources to reduce burnout. This is hard to hear, but your work culture can offer something new peace of mind and a sense of flourishing, where employees' well-being isn't just a perk any longer. Addressing the root cause of employee burnout is critical to every company's bottom line, and the goodness exchange for business is the perfect way to do that. 
we can meaningfully elevate the results of your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages and give you an organization that has its foundations in a shared sense of positivity. If you'd like to chat about infusing your company's culture with a tone of celebration about what's right with the world, about goodness and innovation and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl, at info at goodness-exchange.com. Thanks. Okay, we're back. We're interviewing an amazing woman, Kat Tweedy, who has an extraordinary life journey that's led her to be the co-founder of a camp for young people age 18 to 26 called Sleep Awake Camp. And that is a play on the uh, sleep away <laughs> ethos that we're also used to when we're kids, but also points to this fact that at some point we have to grow up and we have to like awaken to who we really are and who we want to be. And this camp is such a great hopeful sign of things, good things to come all over the place in this area. So we want to get back to this topic of adapting and intelligence. You know, I interviewed another guest, A.J. Craybell, who is a thought leader in the world of school boards, of all things. And he has this incredible way of explaining how kids can't change until adults do and how we make better decisions on kids' behalf than just following our own way in the world and insisting that 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 is what everybody celebrates on the board we're on. It's It's a very interesting concept. But one of the things he talks about is that most behavior by children, even though it looks bad, like bad behavior or delinquent behavior, it's simply a wise adaptation to the circumstances they find around themselves. Even joining a gang is a, is a wise adaptation. If you don't, if you're lonely and you don't get any support, you have no sense of belonging in your, your family or your community, you're going to turn to someplace to get that. So talk to me about this sort of innate intelligence that we have about what we seek. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with AJ's description of the wise adaptation. And I think the phrase that we often use at camp is looking at the beautiful intelligence of everything that's arising. And I really do mean everything. And I know there's always like the but, but it's not that that impulse is what needs to be enacted. But when we look at, so for example, say my husband's working a ton, which he has been, and resentment arises. I can say, oh, what's the beautiful intelligence? The beautiful intelligence. Oh, I want his attention. I want, I want to feel connected with him. I want to feel important in our relationship. And then from when I see that intelligence, I'm like, oh, well, what can I do about that? And then the world of possibility opens up for me in, in connecting with him. Similarly, with all the young people, there's so many impulses that come up for them that they were shamed for or said were not okay. And so those were said, no, you cannot have an anger outburst. No, you. And so they learn that that's, that impulse is wrong or bad. And then they miss the intelligence in it. Because for example, with anger, because it's such a great example, anger is just a signal that some boundary has been crossed. Wow, that's really good to know, you know? Ah, okay. All right. All right. So let, let me make sure we're, we're behind you. We're way behind you on this path. But so uh, what I'm, what I'm thinking you said is, how did you just say that? You said, well, let me give you an example. So at sleep awake camp, 
one of the things that we do is we offer people a chance to begin releasing some of the stored anger. Because as we know, anything that we don't process gets stored in our bodies. Our bodies remember. And so the first thing is just to know that it's safe and have a safe environment to begin expressing and then know that you're loved like while while you're expressing and and a lot of people when they go through this for the first time they are so lit up you know, even just 5 minutes in all of a sudden there's just all this energy in their bodies and they're just like i mean sometimes they look like superheroes you know, because all of a sudden it's like all this power is coming into their body and you see them standing up. And, you know, I run a women's group here in, in Oregon as well. And I've done some anger release work with them. And it's amazing. These things that people have held and the anger that they've held. And when you hear it, it's always so reasonable you know like an anger towards all the like mothers and grandmothers who told them that their bodies needed to be a certain way or them and you know like weighed themselves every day and she's like that's what i grew up with and she was angry you know and then all the other women in the room can listen and say like yeah yeah me too or like you yes you know and so i it's a real like demonstration of how somebody moving the anger that's stored in their own bodies actually is in service of all the people around them too. You know, if it's done in a, in a safe way, not turned toward other people, but really used as this is a signal for me. Uh-huh. Anger arising is a signal for me that there's a boundary that's been crossed. Something's not okay with me. Okay, so when we're trying to apply this to our own insights in our life, since we don't get to go to the, the, the teenage camp, <laughs> I'm thinking you gave a great example of that kind of anger building up over a situation. Now, even the way you worded it, yeah. after you really thought your way through why you were angry, pointed to solutions. To me, the way you right, you said, I'm angry that I'm not getting his attention. I'm angry that da-da-da. And so to me, all the three responses that you rattled off, just like that, I went, oh, that's a, there's a solution there. Oh, there's a solution yes. there, right? Is that kind of what you're offering us? Like once you exactly. feel what you so, feel, then you've got places to go with it, right? Absolutely. And, and the beautiful thing is each of these energies that sometimes we may avoid has, when it's fully felt, has a gift, right? So anger fully felt gives you clarity and determination, right? Because it is the fuel to to know what you want and to the energy to go after it. And it's so beautiful and essential. Give me another example so people can use this in their own lives. Give me another example that seems common. You know, maybe, can you think of something like, dissatisfaction you know you know how once you get dissatisfied with someone or something like your job or a coworker or whatever your mind starts going on this search for evidence that you're right yes right okay let me just feel into that for a moment so first of all there would be an awareness you know with camp or with some of these skills okay i am projecting i notice that i'm projecting a world where my boss doesn't appreciate me 
is asking too much of me, is sending me texts when I don't want, you know, like, it, it's just not cool. And I'm, I'm pissed off and they're not respecting me and they're not respecting that I have a life, right? Like, and you can see how that energy could start built like, yeah, sorry, you know, it, it builds, right? And so then, okay, you can pause and say, what, what's not okay with me? I'm angry for a reason. There's an intelligence to my anger. What boundaries been crossed? Oh, and then you're like, oh, I want, I want to feel like my boss is listening to what's important to me. What's important to me is that I have a clear delineation between work and I'm only, and these are the hours I'm willing to work. And this is when I'm not willing to work. And that it feels like an invasion to me when I get requests that come after 5.30 PM. And, and then you know, it may unravel even more like that maybe there were boundaries with parents that you didn't feel respected. And, you know, we get into this whole other piece, but as soon as you get to that level of detail about preferences, then you can go to a boss and say, Hey, I notice I've been feeling frustrated recently. I don't know what's possible to change, but I notice, especially when I get messages after 5.30, that I feel upset and I don't know quite what to do. And I wonder if there's something else that we could work out. And that kind of languaging comes from an understanding of, okay, I got some data, some information about my anger and about my preferences and needs. But it doesn't say, I know what's true about this other person. And it doesn't say, I know exactly the one solution, right? Because when we come together with another person with our needs and wants and boundaries, there's a world of possibility. And if I get stuck in a binary way, way of thinking, then all of a sudden the solution space is narrow and not nearly as beautiful and wide. Uh, because if I come to my boss, from this place of what I need, not assuming and really open, you know, then there's also a space for even more connection with my boss too. And that's probably something that was also missing. Just want people to come away from this episode with this sense of possibility that I did from our pre-call, because I think that you're drilling down on some ideas that are helpful just to run through society our modern times right now that could be helpful to everyone. And I, I know that the way you just explained that could be really helpful. If you just, am I putting it right? If the next time I feel something, yeah. for instance, they want to put a housing development near this lovely little corner of Vermont yes. that I live in. For, it'll be the first one ever. It's all farms. And unfortunately, I have to look at this hillside every day when I take my walk down and back. Yeah, And I get, I'm like angry the whole time, <laughs> that first mile and a half looking at this the whole time. Now, if I were to say, okay, I'm angry about this. It's clearly ruining my walk, my nice walk that I <laughs> used to count on every day. It, and I explored that anger instead of pushing it. Because what I do now is I push it. I say, that's silly. It's not there. It may not be there. It may fail all the environmental tests. And I push that anger aside. Yeah. But what if I sat with it and asked myself, why, why does that bother me so much? Yeah. And where does that anger come from about it? I might end up somewhere where I've got some p positive solutions rather than just trying to tamp down the anger. Absolutely. And I think 
it might bring you down to deeper levels of what really matters to you. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Okay. I just wanted to take people, I'm sorry about a little personal journey for me there, but I'm thinking that almost everyone that's listening to this podcast has some version of their yeah. own story that, that they could use this insight towards. No. And, you know, it's interesting because this is something that we'll do at camp too. We'll s- sit in a circle. And when we're first introducing this idea, we invite anybody in the circle to suggest anything in their lives that they don't think there's beautiful intelligence to, you know? And so somebody will be like jealousy. And then, then we look into it and it unfolds and it's like, oh, you want, you want to feel safe in connection. You want to know that this person is really there for you and that you're going to get that attention from this person. How beautiful and natural to have this yearning, to want yearning for connection, but also safety, right? And you see the innocence of that, of that place. And then, of course, there's a million places you can go from there. Yes, I totally am not going to forget this particular insight. I'm going to try and use it for the rest of my day. I've got an interesting day ahead. Okay, another thing that you said that I think is so interesting is you said, often the parts that could be shining out of kids could be the parts that were rejected at first. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, So this is part of what we see at camp and what we invite is what are the parts of yourself that you're afraid to bring out, but actually really want to. And, you know, often it's the place, you know, where maybe it was a three-year-old and the three-year-old was just so big and so loud and so like just making up songs and just screaming through the halls and throwing things because it felt so good to move their bodies. And the parents are just like, would you shut up? Right? Because the parent is too much for some systems, right? And so the young people, they learn, these young beings learn, I'm too much. Because the parents, they're everything, right? Right. The parents, they're everything. And so they're like, oh, I'm too much. I'm too big. Okay. When that energy comes up, I need to not do that. That's bad. I get in trouble. I get in trouble when I do that. So I cannot. And so this is where Now at 18 or 20, we kind of say, hey, you want to give it another shot? You want to try again? Right? And then they come out and they're letting out this big energy kind of like, it feels good. But you can see there's like, they're kind of looking around too. They're like, is this safe? Like, is this safe? I'm being big. I'm like, I'm making up songs again. I'm doing this. And what they need is that social repatterning of other people being like, Yes, that was amazing. That was so great. And and the reason partly why we're so excited about doing work in groups is that our you know we are communal creatures. We are we love our tribe. We love feeling connected and so the repatterning that gets to happen in a safe space like this is you know, you potentially get to find out, oh, it is safe. It doesn't mean others, for some people in the room, maybe it still is too much. That's okay. That's okay. But you find out, like, I can express that big part of me and it felt good. 
And this person loved it. This person thought it was too much, but I loved it. You know, and so that's the repatterning. Yeah. I can think back to that. I can attest to what you're talking about that. My husband and I have this very gigantic family-oriented dental practice. And we've had the little girl that wears her tutu to the dentist because she can't wait to see Dr. Chuck and be in her tutu and do a little dance the way our office is in this old house. There's a big bay window area. And, you know, I'll never forget the girl that wear tap shoes and her tutu and everything and did a nice little, because she called that the stage. She remembered, she was coming, unfortunately, (laughs) often to get fillings. And we called that the stage. She did a little program for us, you know, and, and she grew up to be somebody who is painfully quiet and not very responsive to the world. And mm-hmm. I remember as she grew older and, and she lost that light, that sparkle. And of course, I have no way of knowing why that is, but I think it's what you say. I think that society didn't reward her for mm-hmm. that behavior. And so it went away. Yeah. And I do want to say like, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Held down. And so I I guess in the, in the spirit of hopefulness, um, our essence never leaves. Right. Essence is always there. And we just use our own energy to hold down the parts of ourselves that we didn't get good responses for. And so in a way, you know, it's actually, it's it's tiring. Yes. Um, And, And I think you're reminding me that we can remind ourselves if we didn't get a good response when we let that flag fly, it could have been for a thousand reasons. Our parents could have been having a really rough time and our mom just didn't have the bandwidth or, you know, our teacher's husband could have just died and we didn't, you know, we didn't keep track of what was going on in our teacher's lives, right? Possibly understand that all, you know, the adults around them aren't gods, basically. They are, they're not perfect beings. And so, in the intelligence of these small beings, they say, oh, well, I guess I'm the one who needs to adjust. Mm. Yeah. I think it's worth a second try for most of us <laughs> now that I really think it through. And that I, I just never thought about all those bits and pieces of the puzzle. All right. Here's another thing that I yeah. thought was very interesting. I get a lot of people who talk to me about, they say, oh, I've just tuned out the news entirely because, of course, I'm all about good news and you can't Mm -hmm. find it. So people are always telling me they just have tuned out the news entirely. And many have completely disconnected from social media as well. Mm -hmm. But you had this great statement you made that made me think the last couple times people have said that to me, I reminded them of a conversation you and I had. You said, when you you say, okay, we're not going to have any phones at the camp, and you expect them to miss it, they don't. Because what they're getting from social media is a sense of connection and community, even as it is, such as it is, they're getting a sense of connection and community. But they're, but without the phones, during this month, that's exactly what you're giving them, is a sense of real community and real right. connection. So they don't miss it. Yeah, and I think the other thing that people get from social media is distraction. Right. They're getting really frequent, like, and, and very tuned distraction because these algorithms are beautifully efficient yeah. in figuring out what hooks us. And so we become kind of passive in, you know, this content that comes up and we're distracted from whatever discomfort we may 
be feeling. And the flip side of that is being in connection, being in community, maybe having that uncomfortable feeling come up, but in connection, there's the resource to meet it. And that's where our aliveness is. Like our aliveness isn't in being comfortable always. Our aliveness is in like, what is happening in this life? And let me meet it. Let me see. And like, let's unfold it together. Let's unpack it together. And so, you know, I don't, I want to honor the role that the distraction plays because sometimes that too is intelligent, right? If somebody doesn't have the resources to process the pain that they're going through, then distracting themselves is really intelligent. Mm -hmm. Of course it is. Yes. The flip side of that, well, the two times that I've had people since talking to you, I've had two different occasions when people told me that they jumped off social media and you made me think to ask, so you were probably getting a lot of sense of belonging and connection there. What have you done different with all that time to get more belonging and sense of community? (laughs) And neither of them had anything to say. And I think that's like going on a diet and just deciding your diet is not eating food at all. <laughs> right? Like, oh, we've got to, we got to have the presence of mind if we make these big life choices to go to something, not away from something. Right? Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And I think the, just a great guide in general is like, what is it that I want? And let that be the energy that moves us. Cause lovely pushing away isn't, isn't as, it doesn't bring us closer to ourselves. Same that, that connects right to a, a quote I was going to ask you about. I found somewhere yeah. where you said, the brain is meant to be our machine for thriving. It's interesting. I mean, now that I hear that, I, I think tool is a better word. Okay. The brain is a tool that supports our thriving. And, and the way I relate to that is, so I have lived a life where the to-do list and my brain were more like dominant and that sucked. Like, (laughs) and so I, I'm very convinced that our lives are meant to be led by our hearts and our essence kind of leading the way. And that along the way, there's stuff to figure out. And our brain is incredible at figuring stuff out. Oh, solve that problem for me. Great. But as a guide to leading our lives, it doesn't work so well. Talk to me some more about that. Give me an example. Yeah. So, so for example, if I give my brain the challenge, I want to be happy. The brain will go on this infinite loop of, well, you could do this or you could do this. Well, you could do this or this. This one has these pros and this one has this cons. And then, okay, if we do this, okay, let's do this. But we're going to be thinking, comparing it against this thing the entire time. And you can sort of see there's no satisfaction. There's no like total solution. There's never, there's never a time where the brain is like, we are totally done here. (laughs) This problem is completely solved. We are now happy and you never have to, you know, like the brain doesn't work that way. The brain likes to solve things. And so it's, we have to rest back into our bodies and hearts and say like, I just feel good. This feels good. I'm going to do this because my body feels good when I do this. I feel happy when I do this. And we can just let the brain relax a little. And it's so counter to how most of us were raised in this kind of norms. 
but it's more satisfying. And I think it's, but it's a change in habit, right? Instead of having the brain lead, let the brain be a tool to serve, to serve what we want most. So I think we've got a lot more to pay attention to after this conversation. Do you think there's some of this that's an autopilot response to the world rather than thinking it through? Because I think the only thing, I think the thing that I will take away from this is that I'm going to feel what I feel, and then I'm going to be more curious about it than I was. Absolutely. I mean, we can only be as attentive to things as we have learned from the beings around us, right? And so if, if the parents or the people around us have showed, are always jumping straight to they're feeling something and they're just like, that person is awful, you know, like... They're just going straight to this is the belief and the projection and it's true. And you're skipping all the steps in between. That's what you'll learn is the way to operate in the world. And so you're right. Like what I'm pointing to is that there is a whole, like there are hundreds of steps between here and there. And if we pause at any one of those steps and realize what's happening all of a sudden and are curious about what's happening and approach it with a heart that is you know just kind of a little bit light about it and we can see everything a little bit with, with some sense of humor and compassion towards ourselves oh a sense of humor is so important isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i've had i've had like a two years with four deaths and a broken leg and a broken arm and fell over a cliff in a farm vehicle and Every time I would, I saw a funny um, response where I just look up at, look up for some reason up and I say, ah, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> when I broke my leg that, sitting there with my kneecap in five pieces, I looked up and said, oh, I didn't see that coming. I mean, at some point, a sense of humor may be our only refuge. <laughs> yeah, we all, I mean, I think something that I'm still unlearning in myself is the idea that there aren't really mistakes or there there isn't like good and bad because in the past it's like, Oh, I'm terrified or like I'm paralyzed about something because I'm so afraid of doing it wrong. But more and more it's like, Oh, there's just different paths of learning. There's the path of learning where I break my leg. There's the path of learning where I do get angry and turn that anger towards my husband or I, I am resentful toward my husband and we walk through that path, right? They're just different paths. and. We're going to learn one way or the other, and it'll always be the most efficient teaching for that time. That's a beautiful way to say it. <laughs> so as we wrap up here, I want to end on a couple of questions. One, yeah. I'm assuming you wish there was more of this kind of emotional education in schools, in our school system. If you could make wave a magic wand, how would schools address the things that you're addressing? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, the people in you know, teaching positions would need to embrace this curiosity about, you know, about our human existence and have the support for their systems mm. so that they could feel it's safe to slow down and explore, explore some of these untapped areas. But you know, once that was in place, then what I can imagine is a school system and communities that are giving young people all the tools they actually need to thrive so that there's not shaming, there's not 
too muching that the young people realize, oh, there's all this, there's just energy and emotion coming up in my system. And what I'm learning is how to use that information wisely so that I can be my closest expression of who I am uniquely because each person is this completely unique offering if all the parts of them are invited. And so I think what it looks like in schools is that emotional well-being is a core part of what is offered and that there's more emphasis on how we place our attention throughout the day and so that that be a skill that's really developed because what we manifest in the world follows our thoughts you know and so it's really important to be aware of our ability to place our attention where we want it to be mm. You're reminding me of a fabulous episode of this podcast. I'll make sure it's in the show notes with a thought leader in education named Zoe Weil, Z-O-E-W-E-I-L. I'm going to introduce you to her. Yay. She and her business partner, Steve Cochran, have are championing this thought that we should change education instead of teaching kids facts. We should teach them skills, life skills that produce solutionaries. She's coined this word solutionaries. Instead of visionaries, we have people that, that become the kind of people we all want to be around. They have coping skills and collaboration skills. And she says there's hardly a reason to teach facts anymore because we're all walking around with a computer in our hand that has all the facts we could ever want. But what we're short on is the skills about getting along in a complex world. Yeah. And resilience. Yeah, you know, as Absolutely. you know, as we face unknown and changes, that you know, we have the kind of intelligence around our own systems, around our own bodies and our interactions, that we can navigate when there is big fear or there is big uncertainty. That that doesn't just collapse the system. That we can be like, okay, I've done this before. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, some, some, an older patient turned me on to this thing um, of reminding our kids that they've done hard things before. Mm-hmm. You, got, you got this. You've done hard things before. And I can remember every time I ever said that to my kids, they kind of sat themselves up a little bit differently and went at, <laughs> went at it with a little tiny bit of a superhero pose, you know. <laughs> so if there was... It, if this interview had only been three minutes long and you and I had just simply said, what do you really wish people knew? Like in the dark of night, when you watch the news or you work with kids or whatever you're doing, is there something you really wish people knew? I think I'm going to stay with the theme that we've been on today, which is that everything that comes up inside of us is lovable, that there's an intelligence inside everything that's in us. and so in following that to its completion, that we're completely loved. If we don't shame anything or judge anything about ourselves, that love of ourselves then is reflected into love and acceptance of other people. And, and in that, you know, in that space, there's just a softening towards what it means to be human and in all of its complexity and all of its intensity. And imagine the landscape of possibility that way of thinking would open up. Imagine all the doors that are closed to all of us when you really think about it that way. 
But if we were to able to consciously hold that thought, lead with that thought, gosh, <laughs> the future would seem limitless. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Kat Tweedy, co-founder of the Sleep Awake. Do you call it the Sleep Awake Project? How do people look it up online? The website is sleepawake.camp. Okay. All right, great. And how else do you do public speaking? Are you writing? What are you doing? How can people connect next with your work? Well, on our website, we also have media page and that has a lot of different podcasts of that both my co-founder and I, Jeff Lieberman, have done. And but for anyone who knows 18 to 27 year olds or is connected to groups of 18 to 27 year olds, uh, absolutely sharing sharing what we're doing with them because we're still at such a young stage that we're just wanting to connect with with young people and connect with groups uh, so that we can continue to refine what we're doing and create partnerships with you know other groups that are are working to support the well being of of our young adults. Lovely. Well, uh, thank you so much, Kat Tweedy. Remember also your own sense of well-being is tied to your worldview. And as much as we have to go, we should obviously after this conversation, look inward. It's also a lovely bit of joy to look outward and find a lot the wonder that's still in the world. So do look for goodness and progress around you. And what you seek, you will usually find. <laughs> and the goodness exchange is the is a great place to start if you want to more signs of incredible people like Kat who are doing fresh things in the world that have the possibility to open a, a great shared future for us all. Thank you, Kat. I hope the connections of goodness and progress that we shared will help you get through your week with all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Bye-bye. Bye, Linda.